Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cubs Corner Podcast. This is the second edition of a week in a jam-packed edition where we went over the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby on Monday, and today we get to recap the first half of the season and preview the second half. And to help us along with all of that, we welcome Tony Andraki from NBC Sports Chicago. Thanks for joining us, Tony. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me again. And so, like I said, we talked about the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby earlier in the week, but Tony, I want to get your opinion because the Cubs sent Wilson Contreras and Javier Baez to start the game in Cleveland, and Chris Bryant came off the bench. Do you think any other Chicago Cubs deserve to be on that roster? Uh, you know what? The, the one snub, I think, really from the roster, from the Cubs, was... Cole Hamels. I mean, he has been one of the best pitchers in the National League for this whole first half through the Cubs' first 90 games. Uh, I think his injury came in a really bad time, obviously, and he wouldn't have been able to play in the All-Star game because of that. But I think he really deserved it, and it's tough. There's a lot of really good pitchers, and they're just, you know, there's there's only, you know, what, 12 to 15 or whatever that even make the roster. So uh, it's really tough to say that Cole Hamels is definitely one of the best 12 to 15 pitchers in the National League, but his numbers have been there, uh, and he was absolutely fantastic for you know a good month stretch there right before he got hurt. So I think uh, in terms of snubs, it's it basically just him. And then I mean I, Anthony Rizzo is having you know he's on track to have his best season as a Cub yet, even with a little bit of a slump heading into the break. Uh, but it's also it, it's understandable because there are just so many good first basemen in the National League, especially when you're talking about you know Josh Bell and Peter Alonzo, who are both having breakout seasons this year. Yeah, I wrote a piece about that for Cubs HQ about the fact that even though Rizzo is having an All Star season by typical numbers, the way the home run ball has been flying out of the ballpark, especially from first basemen, Freddie Freeman, Josh Bell, and Pete Alonzo are all far more deserving than Rizzo. So. I'm not sure if you could call that a snub, but in almost any other year, his numbers get him into the game, I think. Yeah, I agree 100%. And then I also think if Kyle Hendricks' injury didn't come at such an inopportune time during his hot stretch, he might have had a good chance to make the team. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think uh, he was doing obviously very well, but when you get, as a starting pitcher, you really can't get missed a couple of weeks, uh, especially right as voting is happening and you're not, you know, kind of pertinent in players and pitchers and uh, opposing managers' minds and stuff like that. So it's really difficult if you are, you know, if you do miss a couple of weeks as a starting pitcher, you just have to be absolutely dominant the rest of the time. And, you know, Hendricks just got off to a slow start. So even though he was absolutely fantastic for, uh, you know, like five, six weeks there right before he got hurt too, just like Hamels. He wasn't, he didn't start out great, so it's tough to say that he should have been an all-star, but he definitely had a good case for a while there. Yeah, I agree with you there, and I think another thing that, that comes into play is the fact that um, if you're a relieving pitcher that's not a closer, you're probably not going to make the all-star game, but in my opinion, Brandon Kinsler has been an all-star this season. Yeah, Kinsler would be a good option, but I, just like you said, I mean, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think Ryan Presley might be the only non-closer reliever that was that was named to the All-Star team from either league, and Presley's a guy who, you know, I think he went all the way until, like, the end of May without even giving up a... 
lot of ways he's been the MVP of the Cubs bullpen, but really, really tough to give him an all-star nod based off the way every you know they do voting and get everybody to the team and such. Yeah, I agree with you there. And fans, since the last time we talked, the Cubs lost 3 of 4 to the Pirates and then split with the White Sox before heading into the All-Star break. Talk to us about how he thinks Chris Bryant would benefit offensively from a move to the third spot in the order. Well, Joe Mann might have been listening to our podcast because Joe did just that, and since moving to the third spot, KB is 7 for 12 with a homer, four doubles, and two RBIs, and his average is up to 297. Now, Tony, I'm going to ask you a two-part question. One, what do you think the recent spike in Bryant's numbers are really um, as a result of? Do you think it's because of the, the move in the order? And second of all, if you were the manager, where would you bet KB, and what does your perfect lineup look like? Yeah, it, it really could be because of the move in the order for, for Bryant. I, I don't know for sure. Um, you know, he definitely looks more comfortable up there, and Madden was talking about the fact that uh, his swing just really looks locked in like it had uh, – starting in Arizona and then for maybe about a month there the end of April and then throughout most of May where Brian was got really hot um so for whatever reason his swing is back the mechanics are back his confidence seems to be back uh but I I don't think you know the move to, to three really would be that big of a deal especially because I mean when Brian was an MVP he was hitting two he spent more than half the season hitting two that year so um you know, and, and they obviously won a World Series with that, too, for most of the effect. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I, it, it's interesting overall. So, I, I just don't feel like, uh, you know, Brian being uncomfortable in the number two spot is really like a thing. And if I was manager because of his elite on-base skills, I mean, I think the best spots for him would be one or two. And, and the fact that he has, you know, proven over the last few years to just not have great numbers when guys are in scoring positions. So, um, you know, I think Anthony Rizzo is the perfect number three hitter on this team, the way that he makes a lot of contact and, you know, he's a great RBI guy and also gets on base a ton. So, I mean, however you slot it, I, I think you have to go, you know, uh, you have to keep one of the, both of those two guys as either, you know, two, three or one, two, even if you want to push Brian to lead off. And then I think you have Javi right after Rizzo. So, uh, but there's a lot of different areas that you can go with this lineup because I, I just, you know, right now there's nothing that anybody that stands out besides Brian Rizzo and Javi that like this guy absolutely has to be in one of the top four spots or anything like that. So I think, you know, you get crazy with the lineup and I would go Bryant one, Rizzo two, Javi three, and then you can go, you know, Hayward or Contreras four, uh, depending on how you feel about those guys. And then you could go, you know, Schwarber after that. Um, so, you know, and then you get your, your Bodie and Robel Garcia if they keep playing him. So I think that that would be the best option and it'd be something that, you know, maybe they want to try out here. Yeah, and we've yet to see what Robel Garcia can really bring full skill set wise. But do you think in the future maybe he could slide into the leadoff spot? It's an interesting question. Uh, it's definitely possible. I, I, it's unlikely, but crazier things have happened. I mean, <laughs> You know, we uh, Tyler Chatwood closed the game earlier this year, and going into the year, we would have said there's absolutely no way that that would ever happen. So I, I can't say for sure. Uh, the fact that he's a switch hitter and that he can get on base at a decent clip, but also provide some power. And in today's game, there's something to be said about a leadoff hitter that's not Ricky Henderson-like in the sense of 
getting on base and stealing bases, but Ricky Henderson like in the sense that, you know, he has some pop and can put you uh, you know, in a one nothing lead quickly before, you know, even the second guy comes up in your lineup. So uh with all that being said, it it's certainly possible that Garcia might be an option there. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the threat to do damage is what's keeping Kyle Schwarber in the leadoff spot, but his on base numbers have really not been too great, especially as of late. So Maybe a change is in order at the top of the or- at the top of the order. Maybe they go make a move of some sort. But one of the things I wanted to talk about today is how, especially in that little run during May, even some of the players said it that man, this feels a lot like 2016. I know a lot of the fans were feeling that way as well. But the th- two things that really stand out to me, or three, I guess you could say, about the 2016 team is one, they took their walks and really grinded out there at bats. Two, they ran the bases extremely well. And three, they did not play very sloppy defense. And I think those are three kind of critical flaws of this 2019 team that I don't really think deserves to be compared to that powerhouse that won a World Series. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the more time that goes by, the more I kind of realize how special that 16 season was for the Cubs because everything went right. I mean, you know, David Ross, the year before, in 2015, his first year here, you know, he almost seemed like, does this dude have anything left in the tank, or is he just, you know, kind of a uh, all-glove, you know, no-hit no kind of catcher at this point in his career? But obviously, he proved that wrong. I think he had 10 homers in 2016. And, you know, and, I mean, Dexter Fowler was just, after, you know, a tough first half with the, with the Cubs his first year, he was just incredible at 16, and you're talking about base running and taking walks and stuff. I mean, he was obviously he set the tone and stuff at the beginning of that lineup, uh, even in the game seven of the World Series as well. So, um, in that regard, certainly it's we'll never see 16 again. Defensively, we'll never see 16 again because that was arguably the best defensive season we've ever seen from a major league baseball team. And that it just won't happen like that again. Uh, they were playing at such a high level and, you know, high level of confidence even in the field. So we've just seen too many mental mistakes and sloppiness from the Cubs, like you said, in terms of base running and defensive, uh, uh, just, you know, mental mistakes on defense in terms of throwing to the wrong base or, uh, you know, trying to make a play when there is none. And obviously just the physical mistakes that come with with any team. But I just think right now the Cubs are just pressing overall. They're pressing with guys in scoring position. They're pressing with, you know, when down base and trying to stretch a single into a double. Like the one that stands out to me is, again, in the Mets series, Rizzo hit a ball off the wall in left center and the play is right in front of him as he's running to second base, and he was thrown out by 30 feet. And that's just such an unrizzo-like play. Like that's not like him at all to try to push that. So it, that to me is kind of this microcosm of what's been going on towards the end of this first half here, where they're just trying to do too much. Yeah, I didn't really think of it that way, but I I guess that's a perfect way to put it. This team is pressing. They know the the front office has said these things about big changes. They know Joe Madden might be on the hot seat, whatever the case may be there, and they're just trying a little bit too hard. And um, I was talking to some some people about this too, that it doesn't look like they're having the same fun that they had in 2016, and maybe all that stress is why. Yeah, that's totally possible. And, you know, the fact that they're constantly being compared to the 2016 team, would make it less fun for anybody, you know? I mean, and 
in a lot of ways from my perspective uh you know in, in the media covering that team and this team is you know it, this is less fun this year um but it was also they got out to such an incredible start it was you know what 21 and 5 that year and they just were able to coast from there i mean at this point in the all-star break in 16 it was really tough they played 24 games in a row going into that and they i think they were under 500 during that stretch so it was tough but nobody was panicking because they were still like you know, five, six games up in the division at that point. So, um, you know, and then they, they came out of the break and just absolutely coasted from there. So I, it's it just, you're right. I mean, they're not having as much fun, and that's something that the guys pointed to in the final game before the All-Star break was they just want to go reset for this break and then come back and, you know, when they play the Pirates right away at Wrigley, they just want to go out and, and looser and free and have fun. And Madden just wants those guys to go back out there and just let their abilities take over instead of their mind taking over and trying, you know, like we said, trying to do too much. Yeah, I agree with you there. The Cubs started the season on a really poor stretch, started on the road, and those road struggles have continued. Then at the end of April and early May, the Cubs really were rolling. They looked like a World Series contending type team, and ever since then, They've kind of been limping, almost sleepwalking, you could say, all the way to the All-Star break, came playing a little bit under 500 ball. And like you said, this might not be the same team that 2016 was, but I will say this. this the last two games of the season, or excuse me, the first half of the season, could not have been more typical ways that the Cubs won and lost a game. They won a game behind some good offense, some sloppy defense, but they overcame it. And in the second game against the White Sox, they just could not get a hit with runners in scoring position and lost a winnable game. Yeah, yeah, I think they were... I forget exactly what they finished that, that game against the second game against the White Sox with um, in runners in scoring position, but it was... That, I mean, it, like, for the fan base and for the team and stuff, it was frustrating to watch, but honestly, for... For the media here, I mean, it, it was frustrating because it's just like a here we go again thing, and it's like you know a leadoff double. Um, I forget who it was. Was it? I think it was Rizzo in uh, second or third inning against Ivan Nova. Got a leadoff double and then doesn't even advance past second base. And then Almora comes up the next inning, gets a leadoff double, doesn't even advance past second base. I mean, just the guy, the way that these guys are able to to have a great game or a great couple of games, like you mentioned. In a row, the last one in Pittsburgh, the first one, you know, against the White Sox, and then just suddenly lose that approach offensively. I, it's just baffling, and it is tough to watch. And I mean, even Madden, the you know, the super positive and you know ever patient guy, after the game was asked, you know, like how is it that you're able to beat Lucas Giolito, one of the best pitchers in the American League all year? You're able to beat him twice, and then Ivan Nova, who has been one of the absolute worst pitchers in the American League all year. It just shuts you down twice this year. And Madden just shrugged his shoulders and, and paused and was just like, I have no clue. Because they're still searching for answers. And that's the thing that concerns me the most. I mean, I do think that the Cubs are going to reset. I think they're going to have you know, a, a great second half. But that's the thing that concerns me is that there's still no answers as to this broken offense that they had in the second half of last year. And we're seeing better because Contreras is better because – Bryant is healthy and better because Hayward's having his best season in a Cubs uniform. Uh, role players like Caratini and Bodie and Robel Garcia have, you know, come on uh, like Garcia of late and 
and the other two guys, you know, throughout the year. So I, I think this offense will be better overall than it was last year, and we won't see that kind of breakdown. But they're still prone to slumps like that, and the fact that they don't really know why or how to get out of it, that's the most baffling and concerning part as we move into the second half. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that's definitely a huge concern because a lot of times when you get into a slump, you know why you just can't break out of it. And instead, these Cubs dip into slumps and, and break out of them without any rhyme or reason to it. But I will say this. I think Joe Madden-managed teams have a history of struggling right before the All-Star break. Obviously, this year was a little bit longer than just right before. But then their second halves... Joe Mann is one of the has one of the best second half winning percentages of any manager. So I don't know if you can bank on that, but hopefully the Cubs can pick it up in the second half like they have in pr- prior years. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, in the second half under Madden since he come since he uh, came here, the Cubs have the best winning percentage in all of baseball, and I mean they're winning games, you know, at almost uh, you know two thirds of the time in the second half and. They're better than every other National League team. The next closest is the Dodgers, and they're 16 games behind the Cubs in that regard, you know, the second-half record since 15. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the the Cubs really will come out of this. And, I mean, you know, think about it, too. The Cubs have played four more games than the White Sox, you know, which is something I realized during this Crosstown series. And they've played more games than a lot of other teams because – they went. They played 52 games in 54 days leading up to the break, and or that the July 5th off day right before the break. But that's that's really just like that's insane. I mean, they've had two off days in almost two months of action. So the fact that they get four days off and then they come back and and you know they get another day off shortly after the break and they get regular time off from there they're finally able to mentally reset. And I think that's what it is more than even the physical reset. It is the mental reset, and I think that these offensive issues are mental. So I think that the base running issues and the a lot of the fielding mistakes, I think they're all mental. So that mental break is what gives me the most confidence about this team moving forward. And the fact that, like you said, I mean, the proof is there. Every team is different, and every year is different. But somehow, some way, Joe Madden teams are always great in in August and September. Yeah, and you mentioned an interesting point: how the Cubs have played. more games than a lot of teams the Brewers have actually played one more than the Cubs so this might not be great news for the Cubs fans listening but the Brewers are going to have time to rest up and and have some off days during the second half as well but as the first half of the season ended the Cubs are still in first place despite the roller coaster the struggles and the successes they're still in first place what do you think the Cubs need to do to stay in first place and win the division I, I think it's just focusing on everything that's, that's in-house. That's uh, This team, you brought up the Brewers. I mean, the Brewers just don't even look anywhere near as good as they were last year. And I, that's not a knock on them. They just they had so many guys last year that had career seasons. And you look around that that roster, and obviously Christian Yelich is you know one of the best players in the game. And that's not going to change or go anywhere. But Lorenzo Cain has taken a huge step back. And Jesus Aguilar has taken a huge step back. And... You know, uh, Chassin has taken a big step back, and a lot of their other pitching has as well. And the fact that they don't have Corey Knable and, you know, Josh Hader is dealing with an injury going into the break that he didn't even play in the All-Star game with, and so on. So there's just, um, you know, they they released Hernan Perez, which, you know, has to be music to the 
Cubs fans' ears because of he always played particularly against John Lester, but really against all the lefties that the Cubs had, had always started. So um, the Brewers just aren't as formidable as they have that they as they were last year. So I, I don't really anticipate the same kind of run from them. So I think from the Cubs' perspective, they they just really need to get their own house in order as they move into the second half, you know, officially and start things off because they're, they control their own destiny. I mean, the fact that they've played as poorly as they have for a month plus going into the break. And like we said, 52 out of 54 and they're still somehow went into the break, a half game up in the division it is baffling in one sense, but it also should be this huge vote of, of confidence and huge sigh of relief because like they just went through their worst stretch and their toughest stretch and, what I imagine will be their worst level of play all year. And they still were on top of the division. So I think this really is the Cubs division to win moving forward. Um, but that being said, it's also the Cubs division to lose. So it, it just matters. It, it, all that matters is them and what they look at, what adjustments they make and where they can, you know, take things moving forward. Yeah. I think the Cubs do control their own destiny. Kind of like you said, and, and I think a lot of it comes back to the the whole point Man was making before the season, the whole own it now is one of his slogans. I think the Cubs have to just take this division and, and own it now. This is their division to win. And despite some struggles, they still sit in first place. The window is, is there for them to take this division and run with it in the second half, especially since I don't think the Brewers are that same team they were last year. And letting them hang around even longer is is worse because they could go on a run much like the Cubs could. So I think this division has to be theirs. They just kind of have to own it now. Yeah, you're right. And the Cardinals are good too. And, I mean, the Reds are have obviously played a lot better than their record indicates. So they're there. And the Pirates, they I think we can all attest to, you know, they can pitch better than what they've pitched so far. And that offense looks a lot better with Josh Bell as an MVP candidate there. So this whole division is very, very good. And that's the other thing that, you know, can be scary from the Cubs perspective is they have so many games left against this division. So, uh, you know, they, they didn't even go to Pittsburgh until for the first time this year until right before the break. So they have two more trips back there. And, uh, you know, they got to go to Cincinnati again and obviously a bunch of games against the Cardinals and Brewers. So they do control their own destiny, like you said, uh, and they do have to, you know, own it and, and move forward. Um, but if one of these teams from this division is going to go on a run, I think the Cubs have absolutely the best chance, uh, I, the best odds. That, you know, I would bet on them to be the team that emerges and separates in the pack moving forward. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think um, the kind the division is there for the taking, especially for the Cubs, who I think have the most depth of any of those teams. And once they get healthy with Hamels and Hendricks back to 100% and, and Kimball kind of getting into the swing of things, Maybe even Morrow will come back. I think this team looks a lot stronger than they did. Um, but despite all the struggles, it seems like Joe Madden getting fired is a topic that a lot of people think is right around the corner. I personally um, don't see the Cubs firing this him this year. I think he's the Cubs manager moving forward. Um, what do you think about Madden on the hot seat and if he really is on the hot seat? Uh, I think there's... That the whole phrase where there's smoke, there's fire, I think can apply here. I think there's definitely questions 
about whether Madden is the right guy to move forward, like from within the organization. But I wouldn't necessarily say that there's any legitimate like question to it, more so than the fact that like they understand that there needs to be a change somehow with this team, you know, going into the second half here and and understanding, you know, that they have a, a prime opportunity with the the way the division is shaped up this year and the way the Brewers have taken a step back, as we've already mentioned. Uh, and they just need to do anything they can moving forward. And, and I think it's totally fair in that regard to wonder if Madden is the right guy to lead this. That being said, I think the answer is a resounding yes. He is the right guy. And I think that's the, the conclusion that they came to in-house as well. And, uh, you know, unless they really, really struggle coming out of the gate uh, or, you know, even um, as things move forward, I just I would be totally stunned if the Cubs got rid of Madden here because – I just don't understand how, you know, with the team the way it is and the culture they've developed and so on, that, you know, with more than half the season uh, already in the books, that you would go through the All-Star break and then, you know, get rid of Madden and then bring somebody else in. I mean, I, I can't imagine who you would possibly bring in to be able to, you know, try to try to change things and and work on the culture or anything like that. So I, I don't think Madden will be fired this year. Um, that being said, I... I think this this stretch has kind of proven that uh barring a fantastic run in october which is obviously still possible i think that it's you know becoming writing on the wall that this is madden's last year here in chicago and that he might not get a contract extension this offseason um but yeah that being said i I mean i I just think that it would be the wrong move if the cubs got rid of him before the year ends and if that might not be the move that the Cubs make before the year ends, Theo Epstein made it clear that if the play continues, some changes are in order. What do you think those changes might be? Uh, I think they're looking at everything, and that's... You brought up the Chris Bryant hitting third. I mean, that's something that they haven't done really when you know both Javi and Rizzo were in the lineup, so I think that's one of the changes that they're looking at. They're They're trying to do everything. I mean... From a from an analytics perspective, and just from you know the common sense of the way the game has gone, you wouldn't want a guy like Javi Baez who hardly walks and strikes out a ton to be you know in the two hole. That doesn't make a ton of sense from that perspective. But maybe it makes sense for this Cubs team. Like you know, it's such a dynamic threat and base runner that maybe Javi gets a lot more pitches to see because he has Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo behind him. So maybe that does make a lot of sense, and and that's something that. You know, I think Madden and, and other guys in, in the Cubs organization have just they've adopted um, and accepted that kind of change moving forward. And they're looking for everything right now. You know, they're searching for answers anywhere they can get. What I think the big change will be, I think Robel Garcia can be a potential change. I mean, he can be a difference maker. But the big change will just be they need another hitter. They need a veteran guy to come in and, uh, you know, I, I think preferably a guy with a left-handed bat but just so many that they can go out and get in the trade market for cheap or relatively cheap that can come in and, and be a factor on this team, whether it's a guy that it is a guy too that wouldn't have to start every day, but can probably play multiple positions and, you know, again, either a switch hitter or a left-handed hitter and can just come up with big hits and come through in the clutch. And that can only mean, you know, just getting a run home from third with less than two outs or when, when a guy gets a leadoff double, if they're up next, they just get the runner to, to third, you know, and the run comes in. Like, they need somebody to come out and have productive at-bats like that on a regular basis, kind of like what Daniel Murphy did last year, but they need an even more 
then they needed Damian Murphy last year and it just didn't work out. But I think that it's that same kind of level of hitter. And obviously Murphy's not going to be the guy this year, but that, but like be just like him is exactly what they need right now. So let me get this straight. A professional hitter who plays multiple positions, maybe bets left-handed or switch. It sounds like you're describing Ben Zobris to me. Yes, and a guy that can come through in the clutch and can, you know doesn't strike out a ton. I mean, I'm exactly describing Ben Zobris, but the fact of the matter is they they they're expecting him to come back. It, it seems like you know more and more like he will, but they don't really know when that will be. And if it's not till the end of August or early September, they need somebody before that. So they need you know um, again a Daniel Murphy type, and maybe Garcia can be that guy. And we'll see. You know he. He gets you know more of an audition as we move into the second half here, so we'll we'll see. It's totally possible that that's you know uh, that can happen. He has a couple homers already in his first few starts, so uh, they just need a, an offensive spark. And I, you know Murphy provided that last year, and uh, Ben Zobris provided that last year in 2016. So um, getting Zobris back, I mean, my God, that would be such a huge lift to this team, to this offense, to this lineup. We're, we're talking about the Cubs' struggles, and they started almost immediately after Zobris left. So I don't think there's any coincidence at all to that. And they also somewhat started immediately when Russell was brought up because those were kind of hand-in-hand moves. Do you think um, – what? how do you see Russell's future moving forward with the team? That's a good question. I don't know. Um <laughs> I've been critical and hard on Russell myself. I, I know, uh, you know, I've, the Cubs' record with him in the starting lineup over the last uh, month and a half has not been good. The Cubs' record without him in the starting lineup has actually been very, very good. I think they're like ten and one or eleven and one or something over the last twelve, thirteen games when he's been when he's not been in the lineup. But I, that's not just on Russell. I mean, he is a very good defensive player, maybe even an elite defensive player up the middle. And uh, he has the potential to at least, you know, tear up left-handed pitching, but also just be a, a valuable bottom of the order type hitter. So moving forward, I mean, he, he definitely can be a part of this team's future. But, you know, on the other hand, obviously this off the field stuff that has, uh, that has, you know, that was, big storyline going into the beginning of May when Zobris left and, and he got called up. It, it's fizzled out for sure. Um, you know, it's not a major talking point all the time regarding Russell. But that being said, he's still getting booed a lot by the fans. I mean, you know, the first game uh, the uh, on the south side, he, he got booed pretty uh, pretty loudly for, um, and he still gets booed every single time he's announced at Wrigley by at least a few people. So it's difficult to see a productive future move. And then somebody like a David Bodie has been inked to a contract, so I don't think any of those guys get moved. Um, so who would you, I guess, elect to be the most likely to be traded from the Cubs? Uh, you know, I'd have to say Ian Happ, and especially because he really was tearing it up uh, before Iowa went into their break as well. So I think Happ is, is a guy that a lot of teams, a rebuilding team uh, that's not trying to win this year, It'd be a, a really enticing piece for them because he can come up and you know, and play in the big leagues right away if you want him to, or you send him down, you know, to minors and 
and have them continue to work out. But, you know, switch hitter with pop and speed who can play multiple different positions. And, you know, even if there's some strikeout to his game, there's also a, a patient approach and a lot of walks. So, and he's still a very young guy, only 24. So I think Eaton Happ can be a very enticing piece. And it, it could be really fortunate for the Cubs that he really started hitting and looks to be on a hot streak. Um, right as the deadline approaches. So I think he makes the most sense as a, as a potential guy to be traded. But I'm with you. I, they don't have a ton of prospect depth, uh, right? Or they have a lot of depth, but not a, a ton of elite guys. You know, Eloy Jimenez or Glaber Torres. And I really, really don't think that the Cubs are going to trade Albert Alzali or, or Miguel Amaya or Nico Horner. They're, you know, top prospects. So, um, uh, you know, they have guys like Braylon Marquez and Cole Roeder and Brendan Davis and, and some other guys, you know, even Justin Steele, that they that would be enticing to other teams, but um, that are even potentially, you know, uh, either long-term guys or in the upper levels of the minor leagues that are good depth guys. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it's always interesting going into the trade deadline because I feel like every year there are guys to be had at a really low price. I mean, last year the Cubs got Jesse Chavez, and I know he didn't have a great resume or anything coming over, but he was the best pitcher in the National League, and you know, from when the Cubs acquired him moving forward, the best relief pitcher, and they gave up nothing for him, you know. And then you know, a guy like Ryan Presley that I mentioned on the the American League All Star team this year, the Astros gave up nothing for him, and he has several years of control. So it, they're just there are guys out there that you can go get. But then if you want a big name like a Will Smith from from the Giants, obviously you have to give up a, a few really solid prospects for that. So uh, the trade deadline is always curious to me in terms of price and, and what teams give up. But I think the Cubs can absolutely uh, maneuver it with what they have to work with right now. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I think um, – and if there's anybody to to kind of get behind in this deadline, it's, it's Theo Epstein. I think he's a guy that – has been known for making some trades and some moves work despite not having a whole lot uh, to deal with. But before we before we go, I'm going to ask you a few kind of rapid-fire questions. So Ben Zobrist, let's say Ben Zobrist comes back and Robal Garcia has been hitting. Who gets sent down to AAA? I think Anderson Russell, that would be my call, just because, like we said, the inconsistency has been prevalent since he's been called up I don't see the Cubs doing that because of the fact that they love, love his defense and that capability so um, that'd be a tough question to answer we'll, we'd have to see where things are at when that comes I mean maybe it's a DL stint or an IL stint for a player or um, I don't think that they're going to get rid of Descalso and put him on waivers or anything like that but I guess that could be a possibility if his struggles persist um, Ian Happ, what is more likely to happen? Stays the rest of the year in AAA, comes up and makes an impact on the big league club, or gets traded? I think it's most likely he gets traded, but I also would not rule out the fact that he can come up and, and provide an impact for this team. I mean, what I mentioned before, he's not the veteran guy, and he, he strikes out a lot, but you know, I, I was saying that they could use a, a potentially switch hitter who can play multiple positions. I mean, that's Ian Happ. So he can he can be a little an X factor for this team moving forward. Yeah, I agree with you. I I mean, right now I would take Ian Happ on the big league team over a guy like Descalso or and even Russell. I know a lot of Cubs fans would agree. Maybe the the defense isn't quite there for Happ, but I think the upside definitely is. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that it is as well. Uh, he, he still he has to make changes and improve that these positive results he's had recently with Iowa are more consistent thing because, I mean, going into July for the, the previous month, he was arguably the worst hitter that Iowa had. You know, his OPS was well below 700, and he was hitting like 190 So uh, while still striking out a ton. So he he really has to make these changes stick for, for that to be a possibility. But I do think that is a possibility. Is it in the cards for the Cubs to get Whit Merrifield? I don't think so. I It would take a lot. Uh, and, you know, I said it on our Cubs Talk podcast uh, a week ago that, you know, before the year, if – you would have said the Cubs, you know, could trade two of Kyle Schwarber, Addison Russell, Ian Happ, Mike Montgomery for Whit Merrifield. Uh, some Cubs fans might have wanted to do that, and the Royals might have said yes. But now you could offer to trade all four of those guys for Merrifield, and the Royals would. I just don't see how the Royals would even say yes. Um, you know, it, and that's those are four guys who could be on your big league club and kind of help expedite a, uh, a rebuilding team like the Royals, but. Just from that perspective, there's still so many questions about those four guys, and uh, I just I don't know what the Cubs could give up to get Whit Merrifield. He would obviously be a very dynamic player and fill so many holes for them, and, and be able to just you know be the leadoff hitter they need. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. And finally, who wins the NL Central? I think it's the Cubs. I really think they're going to come out in the second half, put everything together, have a mental reset, and uh, I think they're going to march to the division. And there you have it. As always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill over on Northwest Highway on the northwest side of Chicago. Opening up later this summer, they've got some phenomenal owners over there. I encourage you guys to check it out later this summer. And once again, thank you, Tony and Andraki, for coming on the show amidst some technical difficulties. Thanks for talking Cubs, my man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me again. And that's all we have for the Cubs Corner Podcast. The Cubs get back in action today after a long four-day break at home against the Pirates. Thanks again to Tony Andraki for coming on the show, and thank you to all of you for coming to the Cubs Corner.